Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the broadcast today. If you, By the way, if you've missed any of our past broadcasts on the show, you can just subscribe at The Gospel for Life. We'd love to have you our 10th subscriber after like three years of doing this. That would be great. If people subscribe to our program, by definition, does that make them masochist? Probably. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So we've been dealing with you know some of the popular questions in Christendom today, and today we're dealing with a very uh, question that really touches on all of our life. Here, here's the question this morning: Is God disappointed? in our mistakes or disobedience? I think what you have is that God is never surprised by our mistakes. He's not surprised by our disobedience. God knows fully the reality of the fall. We are twisted people. We're bent in towards ourselves. We have a natural disposition to go against God, to rebel, um, Thankfully, in Christ, we have been made new, and we're being renewed, but that doesn't mean that we've completely gotten rid of that fallen nature that lives within us that, by its very nature, is in rebellion against God. And so we still fight that as believers. Um, And every believer does. And every believer does. Paul did, Romans 7. So the fact is that God knows that we will make mistakes. He knows that we'll be disobedient, and that does displease him. In Colossians, the, chapter 1 opens with that we're supposed to, to walk in a way that's worthy of him, to please mm-hmm. him. And when we don't, well, that is a, quote, disappointment, but it I think where we need to understand is that it doesn't change our standing with him, our relationship with him. Um, There's not going to be a a sense of God saying, I am so fed up with all of these mistakes, I'm done. Um, They can just go on their own way because I'm not going to deal with this anymore. Yeah. Well, and thank you for that, Russ. Very, very well put. I think there's a lot of, there are many Christians who go through their Christian life, go through life um, with this perpetual sense that they are disappointing God, that they somehow they don't measure up and never can measure up. And what's lying underneath that is this idea that somehow we have to merit God's approval. Yes, that we merit his affection yes. and his love. Yes, amen. And of course the gospel is, no, 
that we we could never have merited that to begin with, but by the merit of Christ imputed to us by his righteousness, we've been made new. And therefore, I am God's child. And uh, that relationship is inviolable, will never be taken away from me. Um, And, you know, in, in fact, I would go so far as to say, do you remember when Jesus was baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River? And the Gospels tell us that the Holy Spirit descended dove-like and a voice was heard from heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And Christians, this sounds a little bit radical, but in Christ, you can hear that voice speaking to you, those exact words, because you are in Christ and his righteousness has, has his identity. You are you are united to him, and so therefore that that voice is for you too. You are my beloved child. In you I am well pleased. Know it. Never doubt it. That because of Christ, uh, God is well pleased with you. Now, obviously, God God our God is our loving Father, and um, that. There are moments in, in our lives, uh, there is sin, there is wrong turns that we take, harm that we do to ourselves and others, sin, uh, that as Russ was saying, yes, absolutely, God who loves us, God our loving Father, is disappointed when we do that. But nothing is going to take away that relationship, that affirmation, you are my child, in you I am well pleased. There's this doctrine that we hold to the doctrine of our position and our, the doctrine of our condition. You kind of alluded to that. A test run of this is in the, the letter to the Corinthians. Paul begins in the first nine verses just telling them what their position is in Christ. He says, you are sanctified in Christ. You're, you're saints. Uh, God has enriched you in every way in Christ. Uh, he will sustain you to the end, guiltless to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts the letter affirming that they are totally and absolutely secure and loved by God. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he gets to verse 10, that, so verses one through nine, that's their position in Christ. Uh-huh. Then he gets to verse 10 and he goes to their condition. Okay, now what is the current state of you guys? And he calls them a bunch of fleshly babies. <laughs> yes. So so on the one hand, so, yeah. so think about position and condition in terms of a, a daughter. She's your daughter. You love her, but she got sick and now she's in the ICU. So her life... It, in, in terms of her position, she's inviolably your daughter. But in terms of her condition, she's not in a good place right now. She's in the ICU. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how we should view the Christian life. I think many people have a, a, a wrong idea of their relationship with God. And it's based upon what I said earlier, that somehow we think that we need to merit his mm-hmm. love and that we have to continue to earn it right. um, throughout our relationship with him. Um, and part of that is is because we are so unhealthy in our human relationships that the idea is that as Christians, we have received an unmerited love from God. And the book of First John, I think, would, would teach the, the, uh, the reality of if that's the love that we've received from God, then that's also the love that we're supposed to give to other people. Right. And um, I just know from my own life 
how many times I've encountered people that really um, force those that they're interacting with into this meritorious relationship. Yes. Um, I'm going to love you if you do X, Y, and Z. And if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then my love is conditional. Mm-hmm. And right. I'm going to and, – and that is so unhealthy. And it is in so many ways just wrong for a, a child of God to behave that way mm-hmm. and to put other people into that type of relationship. Yeah. And especially parents, I, I would put out a plea. This is one of the best gifts that you can give to your children is to demonstrate to them that your love for them is not conditional. Mm-hmm. That you pray that you might model to them the love of the heavenly father that as you interact with them, your kids are going to make mistakes, but those mistakes do not define them. And it surely does not define their relationship to you. And it's a great gift Mm -hmm. that you can give them. Amen. So um, the question was at the beginning of this, is God disappointed in our mistakes or disobedience? And I think you guys have given wonderful answers. Let me just offer maybe a, a slight different perspective. I would say... This is Josh's way of saying, here's the right answer. No, no, no. <laughs> I've, been, I've been really influenced by the Puritan Thomas uh, Goodwin lately. Da- Dane Ortland wrote a really great book called Gentle and Lowly, and he's talking about how Jesus really is for us and really loves us. So in those times when we're sinning... Um, th- has Jesus' affections for us grown cold? He kind of addresses that question in the book. And this is how he answers. He essentially says, no. In fact, when we are in sin, his pity is drawn out to us even more. Like like when a father has a sick child, mm-hmm. uh, the father doesn't look at that child in a, in a condemning manner with his, his brow furrowed. He, he actually takes more care to get that child back to health. So, so what... Thomas Goodwin says is that, yes, Jesus hates our sin. That's true. But he never hates us. And he's drawn out with more compassion towards towards us when we're caught in sin. Let me just give you a proof text. In Luke 15, when it says that the good, how the good shepherd acts, what does the good shepherd do? He leaves the 99 in the open country and he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. Mm-hmm. So, of course, this is never licensed to be in rebellion against God. But it is, um, I think we underestimate the love of Christ in this matter. Absolutely. So no, I, was, I, I wasn't correcting, because I, I, think, I think I totally agree with everything you guys said. That just added to what <laughs> we said. No, that's, and we're, we're, we're giving Josh a bad time, but that's just absolutely true. You know, uh, I, I heard once a story, a, a, a kind of a classic preacher story about the woman who uh, was talking with a, a counselor, and she was the mother of five children. And, and the counselor asked her, uh, "Well, which one is your favorite child?" And she said, "Well, I don't have a favorite." And he said, "Oh, come on! Everybody has a favorite. Who's your favorite child?" And she thought about it, and she said, "Well, okay. Well, when one of my kids is sick." Mm. That's that one's my favorite, and and when one of them has a fight with a friend, and gets their feelings hurt, that one's my favorite. Mm-hmm. And when one of them disobeys me and uh, does something really stupid, that one's my favorite. Yeah. And you know that's a that's a tiny human picture of the the affection of Jesus that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, do our sins 
disappoint him, of course, but... Uh, and, and he hates our a, sin. And he hates our sin. But he doesn't but, hate us. But, thank, but praise God, we have a, a wonderful Savior uh, who loves us and gave himself for us. And we don't need to live in fear that we're going to wear out his love. We're, we're finally going to reach the end of it. Okay, well, that's, he's finally he's going to say, okay, all right, Moran, I've loved you for you know, 63 years, but you've just, you've finally gone over the edge. And now I'm done. No, that's never going to happen. That woman's parenting advice is much better than my own. I had five kids. And so what I would say to him is that there's five days of the week, Monday through Friday, and each day, one of you is my favorite. And I don't like any of you on the weekend. (laughs) So now that I hear you tell that story, I realize that that sounds a lot better than mine. We need to have a talk, Russ. Yes, yeah, my technique. But you've been trying. <laughs> yeah, you've, I've you've, been trying. Yeah. No, I, I'd said earlier that I, I think we, one of the best gifts that I got when I was a kid, I, um, I remember it. I don't know why so well, but I was in the fifth grade, and I had bombed a, a science test. I'd mixed up something. I ended up getting like some sort of D or an F. I don't remember. And I came home just devastated. And um, I, in my mind, I thought that my dad's affection for me was based upon how I performed in school. And I talked to him about the test and how I messed up this stuff. And he's like, do you know it now? And I said, yeah. He said, so what's the problem? I said, well, I didn't do well on the test. And he said, and what difference does that make? So you messed up. That's, that's okay. And in my little brain, I realized, oh, I don't have to earn my dad's approval. Mm -hmm. And in a strong way, that influenced me to know, you know what? I think I just got a picture of my Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we all get that picture in our head of our Heavenly Father loves us. Amen. 